0: Good morning, friends. My name is Spencer, and I am the pastor here, and it is it is so good to, to join together in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew 4. Actually, we're going to be reading from a lot of places today, but Matthew 4 is going to be our starting place. And uh, this is week three of a series called Not For Me, because there's really two ways you can live your life. You, you can live your life for yourself, or you can live your life for others. And uh, what we're exploring in this in this series is this question of, well, how do we How do we build the kinds of lives that look towards other people and blessing other people and for other people? And to do this, we're looking at the life of Jesus. What what did Jesus do? Um, What are the practices that Jesus had uh, to tend to his life? Because as you look at the life of Jesus, you notice that there are these things that he does for other people. And then there's this other category of things he does that you see in the gospels where Jesus is is tending to to spiritual practices and disciplines. And people have long noticed that there's a connection between these kinds of things, that that these spiritual practices that Jesus does is connected to this work that he does in the world and the way that he is able to, to impact so many other people and so we're exploring this connection of of what are these spiritual practices how do these build us into the kinds of people that that don't live for ourselves but but live for others and so we're exploring Jesus and and the spiritual practices he kept and and how these things um, build our lives because one of the marks of spiritual maturity the marks of spiritual maturity is how you live for others That's a great way to think about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not about how much of the Bible you know. It's not about how many hours you can pray every week or what your church attendance is. Spiritual maturity, a great mark for spiritual maturity is how much do you think about others and and blessing others because this is what the heart of God is like. And so we're talking about these, these practices and disciplines that we can implement in our lives to help grow us and shape us towards this. And we're looking at Jesus. What did Jesus do? And what were the practices that he had that helped him become the kind of person and be the kind of person that was impacting other people and living not just for himself. And so today we're going we're gonna to jump into this Matthew 4. We're going to start there, and we're going to use this as a springboard into lots of other places. Um, you read Matthew 4 last week. I was in Chicago last week running a marathon. Jake preached, and he also used this passage. And so we're going to uh, use this passage again as a springboard. And, and I'll be honest with you, as we start today, we're going to look at a practice that I was tempted to skip. I was putting together this series and I was looking at the spiritual practices of Jesus and the things that Jesus tended to. And this one we're going to look at today, I was like, oh man, I'm I'm tempted just to set this one aside because it's largely irrelevant for us. 99% of us, I was going to say 100, but I just backed it off just a little bit, but like 100% of us or maybe 99% of us, like we don't practice this thing that we're going to talk about. And yet it was front and center in Jesus's life. And so I want us to go through this and explore this spiritual practice because um, it is just, it's something that Jesus did that many of us. Us are neglecting. Many of us have never really practiced it. We've probably not even heard sermons about this spiritual practice today. And so we're going to unpack this as we start. So Matthew chapter four, I was going to read this to you and I want you to, to catch this. this is a fascinating little scene um, from the gospel. Here's how it goes. It says, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, "Away from me, Satan, for it is written, 'Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. There is so much that we could talk about in that passage. It is such an interesting passage. Jesus is being tempted by Satan, which is something we could explore right there. Jesus and Satan have an argument over the scripture. again, something to explore over there, but, but really all I want you to see out of that passage is how it begins in the practice, the thing that Jesus was doing that led to him being tempted. Verse two, is said it like this. It said, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Jesus is somebody who practiced fasting. And this is not the only place in the New Testament we see Jesus doing this kind of thing. Mark chapter 9 is another example. Mark 9, Jesus is with his disciples and his disciples are trying to cast out a demon and they're not able to do it. And so they asked Jesus why they couldn't do it. And this is what Jesus replied to them. He said, this kind, that kind of demon, you know, there's different kinds of demons. There you go. Just a little tidbit. This kind can only come out, he says, by prayer and fasting. How do we know that Jesus knows this? Well, because he is somebody who practiced fasting. He understands the dynamics here. Another example, John 4. Jesus is brought, uh, his disciples bring some food to him. And so Jesus has a conversation. And so here's how it goes in John 4. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Why is he not eating? Because he's fasting. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus fasted in the scripture. We also know just historically that in the first century, good Jewish men, of which Jesus was one, would have fasted twice a week. Jewish practice was on Mondays and Thursdays from sun up to sundown. Jewish men would have practiced a fast, meaning they would have missed one meal during that time. That had been a weekly occurrence for them, and Jesus would have practiced that as well. Jesus is somebody that in the life he actually lived, we can tell from the Bible and what we know from history, that Jesus was somebody who practiced fasting. And Jesus expected his followers to fast as well. Matthew chapter 6, for instance, Jesus says this. He said, if you fast, no, not if. He says, sorry, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive the reward in full. Verse 17, but if you fast, sorry, just keep messing that up. It's when you fast. When you fast, not if you fast, it's assuming you do this. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus had an expectation that his followers fast as well. Jesus fasted. Jesus expected his followers to fast. This is something that is a a common Christian practice that people have attended to as a spiritual discipline, spiritual practice for as long as there have been Christians and followers of Jesus. And yet it is also something that for many of us is very foreign to us. And so let's ask some, uh, some obvious questions about fasting this morning as we explore this, this idea of fasting. And let's start with this. Uh, why would Jesus need to fast? Or, or maybe a better question would be, why should we fast? What's the benefit, the spiritual benefit to fasting? When we talk about fasting, we're talking about giving up food. What's the spiritual benefit to this? Why would Jesus have an expectation that his followers would do this? Why would Jesus himself do this? What is it that it does within us for us to fast? So to explore this question, I'm just going to level with you for a second. I hate fasting. hate it absolutely hate it out of all of the spiritual practices followers of Jesus ever talk about there's books written about like I'll skip the chapter on fasting because I hate it so much there's a period of the year called Lent I hate Lent now in February when it's Lent I'm going to pretend I like it but I really don't I hate it it's depressing to me Ash Wednesday, we come and put ashes on our forehead and that starts Lent. I hate Ash Wednesday. It's depressing, it's difficult. We start to fast for 40 days and and a lot of us, maybe we take, we get something up, we don't really go for the full 40 days and so we feel defeated by like day three because we're already drinking coffee again. I just, like I hate fasting. I really do. I really hate fasting and it is by far the spiritual discipline I hate the most and and, and there's lots of spiritual disciplines I, I like. Like most of the spiritual things I do in my life I do because I like them. Like, I read the Bible. I like reading the Bible. There's not a, There was a time in my life where I didn't like reading the Bible because I didn't understand it. And over time though, I learned it better and saw the connections and And now I, I really enjoy reading the Bible and something I, I do because I enjoy it. And when I don't read the Bible on a certain day, I miss it. Um, I like to pray. I, there was, again, a time where I didn't like to pray because I felt awkward. I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like I was talking to the ceiling. But as I got more comfortable with prayer, I, I found that I actually really enjoy it. I do spiritual things because I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy worship. I really do. I enjoy singing no matter what the style is. I usually will take my microphone off because I have a deathly, like, afraid, because I'm not a singer, that, like, the microphone's going to pick it up, and I don't want you all to hear that. But I enjoy worship. I, I enjoy tithing even, I, I, I really do. We, we do uh, automatic, it just comes automatically and I just I love getting the, the statement from the church about our giving, that's like my favorite piece of mail to get, I really enjoy it, but I hate fasting, hate it. And what I've found is that my hatred for fasting has remained exactly the same over the years. So it's not something that I was bad at and I discovered, oh, if I could only get better at this, then I would enjoy it. No, like I have, I, it's it rem- exactly the same. It's a flat graph on my enjoyment of fast. I hate it. I don't know if you're picking up on this yet, but I really, <laughs> really do not like do not like fasting, which is another reason why I was tempted to skip this one because I, I hate this so very much. But you know what? I actually think that's kind of the point. Like, I, I actually think that's that's maybe why it's so helpful. Because I, I think we have a temptation, you and I as Americans, and, and especially if you're somebody who um, maybe has surplus in the bank, you, you especially have this temptation that, that we, we fill our lives with things that are we like. We fill our lives with what's easy and what's comfortable. We fill our lives with what makes us feel good. And uh, certainly it makes sense. We, we, we gravitate towards what's easy and what's comfortable and what feels good. We gravitate towards this. But, but the truth is, if you only fill your life with what's easy and comfortable and feels good, you're going to miss out on so much of what God has for you because God is not just found on the mountaintops. God is also found in the valleys. God's not just found when things are easy and comfortable and feel good. God is not just found in, in calling us to do things that don't stretch us and pull us and, and develop us into new people. He's actually found in sometimes getting out of our comfort zones and embracing things that are difficult and, and moving in those directions, which is why fasting is, is helpful. Now, I want to be really clear here. When I say that God is found sometimes in, in the things that aren't easy and comfortable and feel good, I'm not saying that God wants us to be unhappy or miserable. And I, and I meet people from time to time who think that, that God is mean or God wants them to be unhappy, and that's not what I'm, what I'm saying here, but there is a truth that if we only look for God and we only fill our lives with the things that are easy, comfortable, and feel good, we will miss God in other places because he is also in the valleys. He is also in the hard times. He is also in the difficulties. He is, he is, he is to be found when we push ourselves out of our comfort zones in so many ways, and so fasting becomes one of these things that, that pushes us, and in, in to live in a, in a different kind of way because it reminds us that God is, is sometimes found in the hard things. God is sometimes found in the difficult things. God is not always found in what is easy, comfortable, and what feels good. Therefore, it is something to embrace in our life because it pushes us in that direction. Now, another reason I think fasting is helpful and something that grows us um, is, a, is a story I, I think about a lot in the Bible about two brothers And this story, maybe you don't at first connect the dots to fasting, but I think it's a helpful idea of why fasting is an important spiritual discipline for Christians. And the story is an Old Testament story about two brothers named Jacob and Esau. Remember the story, Jacob and Esau, the two brothers. Esau is the oldest, Jacob is the youngest. In that day and age, this is from the book of Genesis, in that day and age, the, uh, the oldest brother would stand to receive all of the inheritance. He would become the leader of the family. He had this future that was set because of his birthright and and uh, in, in Genesis, we read this story about these two brothers, Esau, who had a blood sugar problem, and Jacob, who was not always the most upright person. And uh, they, they came in contact one day where Jake, Esau was out hunting, and Esau comes back from hunting. And the Bible tells us that Esau, as he comes back from hunting, is, uh, is famished. That's the word that the Bible uses. He's famished. And so, as he comes back from hunting, Jacob sees his opportunity here because Esau comes in from hunting. He says he's famished and he says, I'm starving. Would you just give me something to eat, Jacob? And here's what Jacob says to him He says, First, he says, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Now, for Esau, this is his future. His birthright is its inheritance. It's his standing in the family, in the community. It is, it is his future. It is his ticket to a good life. And Jacob, as the younger brother, is not gonna receive this. And so he sees his window. He knows his brother has a, you know, gets hangry from time to time. And so he's like, I can use this to my advantage. And so he, he says to him, sell me your birthright. Simple solution here for Esau. Just go get a Big Mac somewhere else. But instead, because his blood sugar is dropping, he gets hangry. Here's what he says, verse 32. He says, look, I'm about to die, Esau says, which is probably an exaggeration. And he says, what good, what good is the birthright to me? So Jacob has this opening, verse 34, verse 33. Here's what he says. He says, Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, which always catches me here. If you're gonna sell your birthright, it should be for something better than lentil stew. (laughs) How hungry are you when lentil stew is what you trade your future for? I don't even know what lentil stew is, but I don't want any of it. It sounds disgusting. Lentil stew, okay. So he ate and drank and then he got up and left and then the Bible has this really sad line. It says Esau despised his birthright. He traded his future for this short-term satisfaction. And I think about these two brothers often uh, because I think there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here about our short-term satisfaction and what we look for in short-term satisfaction. Esau, I want you to catch this. Esau loses his future. He loses his future because he has an appetite that he can't control. He loses his future because he has an appetite that he can't control. He has to satisfy his appetite, his craving, no matter how, how stupid it is, the, the choice that he makes for lentil stew of all things. He trades that, that, that birthright, his future, because he has this, this craving that he, that he has to meet. And I find there to be so much wisdom in this because all of us have appetites. And I'm not just talking about food here. All of us have appetites for all kinds of things. And an appetite that's out of control will come to ruin you. Anytime you begin to put your short-term craving in front of your long-term future, you are going to lose. Anytime you do this. And this is exactly what Esau does. And this is exactly what so many people do when they put their short-term craving, their appetite for whatever their appetite is. They put that in front of their long-term future. This is how we end up in lots of debt. Because we put our short-term craving for that thing, that appetite we have for that vacation, that car, whatever it is, we put that in front of our long-term future, and now we've, we've just sacrificed our future for the short-term thinking. This is what Esau does. He's going to sacrifice his long-term future for his short-term thinking, and we do this all the time because all of us have appetites, and they're different appetites. For some of us, maybe it is food. For others of us, it's, it's spending for some of us, our appetite, it, it could be for control. That could be an appetite. We want to control all the details of your life. Some of us have appetites for wanting everyone to like us. And so we post something on Facebook and we just look at how many likes we get or Instagram, how many people double tap that thing in order to get our likes up. And we worry if someone doesn't like us and we, we, we have an appetite for, for having people like us. Some of us have appetites for, for revenge. Others of us have appetites for, uh, for sex. We have appetites for substances. We have appetites for all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And, and anytime you put your craving for that appetite in front of your long term future you 're going to lose it 's going to come to dominate you and you 're going to come you 're going to come to lose. We hear this story often. it makes the news from time to time. The pastor has a moral failure, and the paper picks it up and, and the stories become big, you know the kinds of stories. The pastor loses his ministry, his future because he, he put his his short-term craving in front of his long-term future, and he's come to lose the, the future that God had given him because he, he had an appetite that was out of control. A lot of times when those kinds of stories break, I'm always uh, amazed at how judgmental the like the media is whenever those kinds of stories get, because everyone wants to judge the pastor who had that failure because it's an Esau kind of thing. And, and when I hear that story as a pastor, whenever that kind of story breaks and it breaks from time to time, you know, my first reaction, because I'm a pastor and probably because I see myself in those kinds of stories is I'm always wondering like, what was the first step down that road? Mostly because I want to avoid that. Whatever that first step was, I want to avoid whatever that was. And so I'm always curious about what that first step was because because the truth is no one wakes up in the morning and they think to themselves, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to wreck my life. I'm going to ruin everything about my life and trade my long-term future for a short-term craving. That's what I'm going to do today. No one does that. Instead, this temptation, it comes from somewhere, and it grows within us as we, as we begin to give in more and more and more and towards our short-term cravings. Anytime we have appetites that are out of control, we're going to come to be dominated by those, and we're, we're going to lose. One of the reasons why fasting is, is such an important discipline is it comes to remind us again of the role of our long-term future and, and putting in place a mechanism that begins to check our appetites for when they get out of control, begins to check uh, our our self-denial in this way that God has called us to to live, not just for the short-term satisfaction that we wanna live for, but for this long-term future that he has for us. This is why when the Bible describes following Jesus, oftentimes words that you read are words like repentance and sacrifice, denial, laying down your wants and wills in order to go with Christ. This is why the Bible talks like that. I mean, listen to just a few verses here about how the Bible talks about following Jesus. This is Matthew 16. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. They, they must put aside their short-term cravings, whatever it is that they have that appetite for, that they that they." that they go for and they must embrace this long-term view of being his disciple. Here's another one, Romans 12, verse one. Paul writes, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which I love that part, view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, and I hate that part. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Again, hear this tone of of sacrifice in order to find this this life that God has for you. Galatians two, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That was Paul. Here's Hebrews 12. Let us run with perseverance. What's that word? Perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him You endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen to the tone of that passage of the, the perseverance and the sacrifice that's required to follow Jesus. You ask, why do we need to fast? Why is this something that should be part of our lives? Well, when I read these passages, this is why I need to fast personally. Because to follow Jesus is not just about feeling good, it's not just about what's easy and comfortable. It's not just about what I enjoy, it's also about learning to set aside what I want for my life, to set aside my future, to set aside my goals, to set aside my agenda, to set aside my own understanding of myself, to set that aside in order to embrace what God has for me. It's it's to set aside my appetites and my cravings and and the things that I might put in front of him in order to embrace this fullness of life that God has for me. This is why I need to fast. This is why I need to fast. Fast. And so this morning, with all these uh, messages in the series, what, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get as practical as possible in this, in this series. And um, I wanted to set up in each one of these just a, a spiritual practice that we might be looking at, the, what we see from Jesus and what we see Jesus practicing. And then I wanted to get really practical each week because one of the worst things to do whenever you start preaching on spiritual practices is to give something to people and then you're just like, hey, have good luck, have fun with that. And what happens is people end up leaving church on Sunday and they end up feeling guilty because they're not doing that or they're not doing it very much and they think they should do more and that's just not a helpful approach. And so in each one of these series, what I want, these messages, what I wanted to do was just simply take a spiritual practice, look at it from, from the lens of Jesus, ask why we should do this and then get practical, give you some tools to help you if this is something that the Lord might stir in your heart that this is something that you should be practicing and so what, I, what I've been inv- imagining is, you know, there's about a thousand people who hear our messages each week. And what I'd love to do because I'm a pastor and I, I like to be with people is I'd, I wish I could just take you all to coffee one-on-one. And so I was just thinking, you know, if I was to do that, what would I share with you? What, what kind of tips and, and tools might I share with you over just a cup of coffee? Um, if you were somebody who wanted to start implementing this kind of thing. So I was thinking about this this week. If we were sitting down over a cup of coffee and we're talking about fasting because this is something we see Jesus doing, you know, what kinds of things would I, would I offer to you? So here's a few, just a few thoughts. If this is something the Lord might stir in your heart to practice, because I understand that most of us aren't having this on a regular basis. So the first thing I would say is this, um, when it comes to fasting, uh, you need to think about fasting uh, broadly, not narrowly, broadly, not narrowly. And what I mean by that is uh, when we talk about fasting, we talk about food, but fasting is more than food. It's, it's really just the ways that we practice self-denial in our life. That's really the, the idea of this. And so to think, think broadly, not narrowly, about fasting um, would, would be a helpful thing. And so for some of us, fasting food might be a thing to do. For some of us, we have health problems, and we can't fast from food, and so we need to think of other things. Um, for some of us, we may have a history with eating disorders, and fasting from food is a really dangerous thing for us to do, and so we need to be thinking about other things, other ways of practicing self-denial in our lives. And so we need to think broadly, not narrowly. There are other ways to think about um, practicing self-denial. For some of us, maybe it's giving up TV on a somewhat of a consistent basis. Give, put on our phones down. Not get on social media. There's other ways to do this um, as we practice uh, a, a regular habit of self-denial in order to build that muscle in our lives. So think broadly, not narrowly is one of the first things I'd say. And then another thing I would offer to you, um, just over coffee, thinking about fasting, I would, I would offer you this. When you think about fasting, you have to realize that fasting is not the same thing as a diet. The goal of fasting is not to lose weight. The goal of fasting is not to give up something that you know you should already give up. That's not the goal of fasting. The goal of fasting is to take something that's that's innocent in and of itself, and it is, it is something that is a sacrifice for you because you're embracing um, a, a lifestyle of self-denial. That's what the purpose of fasting is. And so don't give up something you know you should already give up and you feel guilty about whatever it is that that might be. That's not the purpose here. So you gotta think um, about this much more than just a diet or giving something up. Another thing I'd offer you is this, and this is true for every spiritual discipline I would ever talk to you about, is you gotta start small. You gotta start small. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Don't do that. Start small. Start with a snack, if that's where you're going to fast food. Start with a snack. Start with a meal, like once in a while. Start small. Start manageable. Don't start with just hitting... Uh, home runs kind of thing. It's like it's kind of like prayer. If you're not praying on a regular basis, don't start saying, I'm going to pray an hour a day. Well, you're not going to do that if, if you haven't already built that muscle. You got to start small. Start small. Start manageable. Start with something that you can, you can build off of. That's what you got to do. Um, another thing to do when you fast is to practice to re- replacement. So if you give up a meal a week, replace that time with something else. Don't just use this as idle time. Don't just use it as a chance to watch more TV or a chance to work through lunch or something like that. you got to replace that with something else. And so if you're going to fast a meal a week, uh, take that money and give it away to a charity. If you're going to fast a meal a week, spend that time reading the Bible. If you're going to give up social media, spend that time, you know, reading the Bible or something like that. If you're going to fast coffee, then use that money and and give it towards a a purpose that that would be beneficial through the church or through some other organization that you could help other people with that. That's replace that that activity with something positive as you fast. And the last thing I'd just offer you is this, is that fasting is more than just what you do at Lent. And, And I wanted to preach this in particular because we're not in Lent right now. And so Ash Wednesday is not upon us, but fasting is something that if you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't practice Lent at all because it's not in the Bible, but he practiced fasting on a a, a basis outside of this. And fasting is not just for a certain time of the year. There needs to be regular structured approach to how we deal with self-denial in our lives. There there has to be some sort of structure to this sort of thing. And so when you think about fasting, think about this as, as much larger than Lent because What we all need, every single one of us, every single one of us have appetites that could get the best of us. Every single one of us have a temptation to just live for our next craving of whatever it is we have. And every single one of us, every single one of us have a temptation to live for what's easy and what feels good and what's comfortable. And God is calling us to so much more than that. The the benefit of fasting is that this is a spiritual practice that that God will meet us even in the place of self-denial. And so this week, if you're thinking about this, and hopefully this Lord is maybe stirring this on you, I'm definitely thinking about my own life and my my rhythms of what this looks like. I wanna encourage you to to be thinking, what what would this rhythm of self-denial look like in my life? And maybe even just this week, there is a way that you can practice fasting in some form. Don't swing for the fences. Just start small, start small. This is something Jesus did, This is something Jesus expects his followers to do, and this is a core spiritual habit that if you live into this and lean into this, God will use to grow you and to change you and to make you live for other people, not just for yourself. Let's pray together. So Father, today I thank you uh, that you are, are in our lives and that you have not left us alone, and you want us to grow and to develop. You want us to to live for others and to find this fullness of life that, that ultimately we are not satisfied just by our food and our cravings that we have in life, but, but ultimately we are satisfied by a relationship with you and learning and leaning and living into the purpose that you have given us. And so this morning I, I, I pray for us that um, the 99% of us who are not practicing this really basic Christian spiritual discipline, would you stir something in us stir some thoughts and some desires in us for how we can begin to to live into this practice of fasting. Help us to to be those who don't just live for the cravings and the appetites of our lives, but rather are those who are putting our long-term goal and future as first and foremost in our life and not just our short-term cravings. God, we thank you, we love you. We thank you that you have loved us and that you have given us life through your son. In the name of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, we pray. Amen.
1: When there are big decisions that need to be made or there's big transitions going on is when I really do tend to lean towards the fasting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I, I realize that I can't do this on my own it's really not me but it's a matter of seeking the wisdom guidance counsel um, of of the spirit we need to learn to slow down Mm -hmm. and for me sometimes slowing down is the idea of fasting is fasting from food uh, to give myself an opportunity to really focus on god and the holy spirit and his presence in my life because when those hunger pains kind of start, then you begin to, for me, I begin to have introspection, and then start having internal prayers with with God. There was one time I can remember, and it was during a prayer retreat, and I had chose to fast during that time period. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to go prostrate um, in the room, and I was like, no way, I'm not doing this. I, Everybody's going to look at me. It's going to be a foolish thing. And, you know, it just I kept on hearing the parting of the Spirit. And um, I was struggling with some things at that time. And so I went ahead and went prostrate during that time. As I was praying, I heard the Spirit say to me, You need to be who I have created you to be. And allow me to be the God and be the one that's in control. You don't have to worry about being in charge. I'll take care of that. The only requirement that I have from you is that I want you to share who I am with others and bring others closer to me. Um, and in the same in the same vein, you'll get closer to me as well.
0: So, what would you say, someone? Man, that sounds awesome. I want to experience that power. I want to experience that that clarity. I want to feel God moving through me. And I don't know where to start. What's that first step?
1: Like? The first step would be find other people that have the same interest and desire. Mm. This is not a, a solo journey. Mm. And I think it's important to get counsel from others. Um, mm. And not necessarily others that have been through fasting, but others that have the same desire mm. to fast, um, where you all can fast together. And, and then the second step would be, just do it. Yeah. Maybe a half a day, mm. Maybe maybe it's one meal. And then maybe trying to take it as a 24 hour situation or even a weekend, mm-hmm. you know, if, and again, it doesn't have to be food, Right. you know, it could be fasting from other things. And I think, um, I think that would be the next step would be just, just do it and then share your experiences with one another because that's how the
0: body grows. Yeah. That's how the body flourishes.